Hi everybody, welcome back to Weekly Haftora. I'm so sorry I was out last week. I was dealing with final projects for my master's in Jewish education program. And because I was short on time, I didn't want to put out something that was below normal quality. So that being the case, I am happy to have that over with and be back learning with you guys again this week. So this week is Parshas Bamidbar. And we actually have a special half Torah this week, even though we don't usually, because the Shabbos falls out on Erev Rosh Chodesh. This occurrence is called Shabbos Machar Chodesh, which literally means Shabbos when tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh. And so this being the case, the half Torah doesn't actually have much to do at all with the Parsha. Um, so we'll go through the Parsha very quickly. I also wanted to just note before we get started that this half Torah definitely stands alone because most of the time that you've probably noticed when we have a special half Torah, it is paired with a special maftir, a special eitaliyah, or with some other special reading that we're tacking on to the normal half to the normal Torah reading. But that's not the case this week. We have a source. It's actually the, the Gemara and Megillah, um, Daf Yud Gimel which is our source, our reason for, for reading the special reading, even though it's not tacked onto a special uh, maftir or anything like that. So let's very briefly go over the Parsha just to give it some mention. This week is the very first Parsha in a new Sefer of the Chumash. Very exciting. Um, the first four complete Prakim of Sefer Bamidbar, the Book of Numbers, are our week's Parsha. So this, the major events that happen this week is that um, Moshe takes a census of all of the Jewish men that are of military age that are within the camp that are within Israel. Um, the Leviim are excluded from this count, actually, and they're tasked with moving the Mishkan and attending to it whenever the Jewish people switched where they were camping. Um, the presumption was that because this was a full-time job, the Leviim would be doing that instead of doing other military activities. Um, the Parsha also sets out the formation of the camp. So whenever the Jewish people were camped and were staying in one specific place, there was a formation of where each tribe would be located, where the Mishkan would be located, where the animals would live, where everybody would live. That's all set out. Um, there were also special jobs that were designed for two families named Kahat and Marari. Those are two specific families that are within the tribe of Levi, and they had um, specific jobs having to do with the Mishkan. And the last real main event of the Parsha is that the Kahuna, the priesthood, is transferred from the firstborns to the Levian. So basically, the original plan was for the Kahuna, the priesthood, to belong to all of the firstborn males. Um, but as the Bnei Yisrael are in the desert as they're sinning, as multiple things happen, Hashem decides that it's best for the Kahuna to be transferred to the tribe of Levi, which as we see, there's Midrashim that tell us that this is because Levi did not involve themselves in um, certain types of labor while the Jews were being enslaved in Mitzrayim. So the their being awarded with the Kahuna is sort of their reward for, for prioritizing um, Torah in that very difficult context. Um, so those are the, the real main points of the Parsha. Again, I did fly through it very quickly because it doesn't really relate to our half Torah this week. So now let's talk a little bit about the half Torah. Um, this week we are in Sefer Shmuel Aleph, which is 
um, if this is if this is your interest, it's a bit more narrative material than we've been working with these past few weeks. Um, so as always, I'll give a little bit of historical context for the Sefer, especially because we haven't learned from the Sefer yet. Um, I should first note that Sefer Shmuel was actually divided into two books by non-Jewish sources. There's a lot of, of books in Tanakh where this has happened. It happens with Debre Hayamim. It happens with Malachim. Um, that was that was made by outside non-Jewish sources. So for our learning purposes, we look at all of Sefer Shmuel as one big long Sefer. We just keep referring to them as Shmuel Aleph and Shmuel Base for, for ease of, of reference, really, is why we keep that. Um, so the actual Sefer itself was written by, written by three different Nevi'im. Those were Shmuel, Gad, and Nasan. They were all living at this time and all contributed to writing the Sefer. And Shmuel Aleph is taking place very early on in the kingship within Israel. Um, the Sefer is speaking about a roughly 100-year period where Israel is transitioning from a time of being ruled by Shoftim, which that is all laid out in Sefer Shoftim, to being actually ruled by a king. So you might be wondering what's the difference between a Shofate and a king. Um, that's a whole discussion, but there are some special halachas that apply to a king that wouldn't necessarily apply to a Shofate. There are um, additional powers that that king has, their power is more far-reaching than that of a shofate. And also, that they go through this very specific process of Hashem telling a Navi, I want this to be my king, and then being anointed as king. So those are some very quick ways that the, that the two differ. Um, this sefer is when David comes into power after Shaul. So that happens around the Jewish year 2860 or the secular year 900 BCE, just for reference. And our half Torah opens in Pasuk Yud Ches of Perak Chaf. So that's the 18th um, line of the 20th chapter of Shmuel Aleph. So right off the bat, we can see why this has been assigned, the half Torah for Shabbos Erev Rosh Chodesh, because the first Pasuk reads, it says, Yonasan said to him, to David, that tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh and you're going to be missed when your seat is vacant. Um, to set the context for this, um, the Pazak is really setting up the Haftorah. So Yonasan is the son of the current king of Israel, King Shaul. And King Shaul is going to be hosting a Rosh Chodesh feast in his palace the next day, Machar HaChodesh. And David is expected to be in Shaul's house for that feast. But to bear in mind that David is married to Shaul's daughter. So he and Yonasan, his very best friend, are brothers-in-law, and he is Shaul's son-in-law. So even though him and Shaul have a very complicated relationship and Shaul hates him with every fiber of his being, at the end of the day, they are family through marriage. So they have a certain closeness that has to be that has to be forced um this half tour is actually where we get the minhag to have a meal with bread on rosh chodesh from this is the only place where there's any practical applications or practices of rosh chodesh that are that are laid out in tanakh we see that there are korbanos for it other places where where that's described but this specific um parak is where we see something that we bring down all the way to today of having a meal with bread on Rosh Chodesh. So that's a, another pretty cool fact about 
this Haftorah. So this is also coming at a time when Shaul has a plot to kill David. So when Yonasan tells David that, oh, you're, we're really going to miss you tomorrow when you don't come up to the, when you don't come to the feast, um, David's not coming because he really doesn't trust Shaul. Up to this point, Shaul has been chasing David around like a crazy person, trying to murder him because he hates him so much, because he feels that David's taken the kingship away from his son. And so naturally, David's not so crazy about going into Shaul's house. He, in, in the few psukim before the Haftorah begins, um, it's a conversation between Yonasan and David. David's saying, I'm not so sure about this. I don't know if I feel, if I feel safe going um, for, for very good reason. So Yonasan agrees that he's going to go to the feast. He's going to gauge his father's mood on the, on that day to see if it would be safe for David to come in. So what Yonasan does is he decides, okay, I'll go in. David, you wait outside the palace in a field and I'll send a signal to you once I decide if it's, if it's safe or not for you to come in. So in Pasuk Chaf Aleph and Chaf Beis, Yonasan is telling his attendant, a code. Um, Yonasan says that I'll, when I decide, I'll fire three arrows outside of the palace window, and if the arrows land near you, if they land near the attendant, it's safe for David to come in. Go tell him that, that he can come in and he should be at the feast. If Yonasan aims the arrows beyond the attendant, so if it looks like he overshot, uh, that's a sign that, that, that David should go the exact opposite direction. He should not come in. So this, is, this all happens the day before Rosh Chodesh. This, this plan is set up. Rosh Chodesh comes in, the feast begins, and um, Yonasan doesn't send any signal to David because Shaul's actually being kind of hard to read. Shaul notices that David's not there. He notices that he didn't show up, but he, he mentions kind of in a, in a you know, side comment that, well, okay, David probably didn't show up because he, he's, he's not Tahor. So the assumption is that David could have had uh, like a seminal emission overnight. There was some reason that he wasn't Tahor, and so he couldn't, he couldn't come to this, to this feast. That's in Pasach Havvav. Um, the next day, King Shaul asks Yonasan where David was. The next day is still Rosh Chodesh. It's a two-day Rosh Chodesh, so the feast continues. Um, and Shaul asks Yonasan, where's, where's David? Yonasan responds that David actually took leave to celebrate Rosh Chodesh with his family in Beit Lechem. That's in Pasach Chavtes. This is, again, another another proof that celebrating Rosh Chodesh as, as something like a Chag was a widespread practice during the times of Tanakh. So this is another proof. Um, so Yonasan tells Shaul, David has gone off to celebrate Rosh Chodesh with his family. And when he hears this, Shaul flies into a crazy, crazy, crazy rage. Um, if you want the exact details, you look in the Pesukim at Lamed through Lamed Gimel, and it, it, it tells exactly what what Shaul did and said. Basically, Shaul starts screaming at Yonasan. He calls him, um, in English, a son of a perverse and rebellious woman. He tells him that, you know, he, he's reminding Yonasan, like, as long as he's alive, you can never be king because you gave it up to him. Um, a, le- a certain piece of language in these Pesukim is important to note here in Pasuk Lamed, uh, yeah, Lamed, um, Shaul says to Yonasan, Halo yadati he says, do I not know that you chose the son of Yishai, referring to David, um, to your own shame and the shame of your mother's nakedness? Um, this, this phrase is basically Shaul trying to, again, guilt David 
or sorry, guilt Yonasan for giving the 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 kingship up to David because he's he's saying Yonasan, do you realize what people are going to assume about your mother? When everybody realizes this, they're gonna say, well, Yonasan wouldn't have given up the kingship if there wasn't a reason for him to give it up. So the reason must be that Yonasan isn't actually Shaul's son. It must be that this other guy that that the that was given the kingship must be the true heir to the throne, which would mean that Yonasan's mother had been out cheating on Shaul. So Shaul is saying to Yonasan, you realize that by doing this, that you're making these awful implications about your mother. He's guilt tripping him, which, you know, we know is not true because Hashem's intention all along was for, for David to be king. This is just not, this is not a founded accusation, but that's the rhetoric that, that Shaul's jabbing in at Yonasan with. Um, so he's on this rampage, he's screaming, he's guilting, and eventually Shaul throws a spear at Yonasan. He's so angry that he, he almost kills his son. Thank God he misses. Uh, but at this, um, Yonasan realizes, okay, my dad's really mad. This is not a good place for David to be. So he, he fires three arrows into the field. David's still hiding there and waiting. He filed, um, Yonasan fires the arrows into the, the correct place to signal that you, you, should, you should go. It's not safe to come in. And um, Yonasan himself escapes into the field. The next day, um, the, the two friends, they reunite and they they have their last sort of encounter their last conversation together before they they part and that is where the half torah leaves us off so there's a uh, an idea from rav soloveitchik that says that this half torah is allocated to or allocated to um, mahar chodesh because rosh chodesh really when you think about it it's all about new beginnings and this half torah is symbolizing a new beginning in David and Yonasan's relationship. It's it's symbolizing sort of that Yonasan and David their their relationship transcends this family argument, this ongoing family argument that they have, and that they're going to have an even heightened commitment to one another as friends and as you know sort of partners um, to help David get into this this kingship role that he so deserves. So. Um, this is this could be for us to reinforce the idea that Erev Rosh Chodesh is a time for tshuva. Um, normally, on a weekday, Erev Rosh Chodesh would be a Yom Kippur Katan. There would be certain practices that go on. People have certain davening that they say at Mincha. Some people, although this is becoming less and less widespread, some people fast. There's there's all sorts of practices to make Erev Rosh Chodesh into a Yom Kippur Katan and to remind us that um, now, Erev Rosh Chodesh is an optimal time to reflect back, do tshuva, and just like David and Yonasan do in this half Torah, recommit ourselves to Torah, to mitzvahs, and to doing what we know Ratzon Hashem is for us, even though there might be people around us telling us that we shouldn't, there might be external pressures, there might be all sorts of reasons why we don't, but recalibrating ourselves to what our goal is and to what our Avoda is, and that's sort of the energy of Erev Rosh Chodesh. So, as always, ladies, let me know if you have comments, feedback, questions, if you want to talk more. Um, and yeah, we'll be in touch and we'll see you next week.